Well, let's continue to worship the Lord together with the reading of God's word from Luke chapter 1. And we will read verses 39 through 45. In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. And as she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth, and when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. Let's pray together. Father, we are blessed when we believe what you say in your word. So what we need from this passage, we pray that you'd give us in the areas of our life that we need help and encouragement. Help us in the areas of our life where we need correction. Correct us. We pray that what the Holy Spirit would have us know from the passage that we've just read, inspired of the Holy Spirit, you'd give us. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, of course, you may be seated, and again, on the month of, uh, for the month of December on Sunday mornings, we have a sermon series entitled Good News of Great Joy. We've been going through 1 Peter uh, verse by verse, and we're not done with 1 Peter, and more importantly than that, 1 Peter certainly isn't done with us, and uh, at the new year, we'll pick up right where we have uh, left off in, in that book. But I do want to use this uh, opportunity here on Sunday mornings in December to preach a series, Good News of Great Joy, and this morning's message is, is entitled The Great Gift of godly friendships. Is that enough G's for everybody? Hey, are you a, are you a good friend? The way that you influence other people, is it godly? We're, we're going to use uh, this morning's passage to help us understand what a real friend is and what a real friend really does. You don't need a uh, friends in your life who are Christians so much as you need Christian friendships. And friends, there is a difference between the two. You are made by God for friendship. In fact, one of the harshest punishments we can give is solitary confinement, right? I mean, you're made to have relationships with other people, but you can't have healthy relationships with other people until you have a restored relationship with God But once you do have a restored relationship with God, you can be a godly friend to other people. In this passage, we'll see the value of godly friendships, and and then we'll also see pretty clearly what a godly friend does. I think it's true for all of us. If, If you show me the three best friends that you have in your life, the three people that you talk most to, the three people that counsel you the most, I'll show you the direction of your life and ultimately what your finish line, your destiny will be. One of the most frequent complaints uh, that we have in our generation is a lack of real friendships. So again, we'll just begin by asking, what kind of friend are you to other people? And then we can see here what kind of friend Elizabeth is to Mary? Now, they're family. You know, it's possible to be both family and friends. 
and what she does in the life of Mary. Well, I want to start with an illustration, a, a relic from my younger days. I want to show you something that some of you are going to know right off what it is. You know it's old because it still has a cord to it. You know what I'm saying? This is back to the cord days. About 15 years ago, I was really good at a video game called Guitar Hero. Has anybody here ever played Guitar Hero? Anybody in the room, you've played Guitar Hero. Now, you might have been good, but I was really good. No, I'm just kidding. I, 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 uh, I played Guitar Hero a lot. In, in fact, not too long ago, Abel and I were in an arcade, and they had Guitar Hero, and I just wanted to see if I still had it. Guess what? I still got it. But, but anyway, but anyway um, Guitar Hero is a video game where once you're playing the game, it'll start to play a song, and you use the buttons here to match up, and it begins to feel like you're really playing the guitar. It's, it's actually pretty cool. I always wanted to play the guitar. In fact, when I was young, I overheard Julie say one time when I was uh, uh, around her, I love a guy who can play a guitar, so I started taking guitar lessons. I just wasn't really all that good at it. I wasn't good at playing the guitar, but I was pretty good at playing Guitar Hero. It sort of simulates what it feels like to really be able to play a song. As a matter of fact, um, I bet if Pastor Blake was on the stage and we put Guitar Hero on this screen and on that screen and he had one of these, I bet I could beat him. I really, I bet I could beat him. <laughs> but, but I also know if Pastor Blake picked up the real guitar and I had a real guitar, there's a difference between a simulation and the real thing. Now, I believe it's true that for far too many of us, when it comes to Christianity, we're simulating Christianity. We're not living the real thing. We're simulating forgiving other people more than we're really forgiving other people. And if we're not careful, we kind of play and pretend church without being the real church. And specifically for our purposes this morning, I want you to know that if we're not careful, we, we sort of pretend friendship more than we're ever real friends. Because real friendship makes real music. It's the gift of it. And friends, it matters so much because Jesus came they meant it as a criticism, but he used it for our understanding that he is the friend of sinners, the real friend. So how do you know the difference between the simulation or pretend playing and the real thing? The Holy Spirit makes the distinction, friends. And the Holy Spirit makes the distinction on the basis of the Scripture. I don't, want to, I don't want to pretend Christianity in my life. I want the real thing to really abide in Christ. So we'll use the passage for a couple of markers of the real thing, real friendship. And we'll start here. First of all, is a godly friend can be trusted at all times. A godly friend can be trusted at all times. Look with me in verse 39, that very first phrase, in those days. In what days? Now, it's one of the reasons I wanted you to read the first 38 verses so you know what's going on, right? I mean, I know you have an idea of what's going on, but man, when, when Mary enters the home of Elizabeth, can we agree on this, that they've each been through some stuff, right? 
Elizabeth has had a lifetime of heartache. You read about that. But, but now God's doing something. And Mary, in those days, look how it's written, arose and meandered to the hill country. It's not what it says. Went with haste. What does that mean? Well, that means she, she got there as fast as she could. Why? Because it's those days. What days? Stressful days. You know what I'm saying? Hard days. Difficult days. Days where it's exciting, but it's also days that she's going to be misunderstood. It's the, what's Joseph going to think about this days? You know what I'm saying? It's, it's those days. Now, we often talk about the difference between friends and acquaintances. One of the biggest differences is an acquaintance is someone you can be with on the good days. A friend is someone you seek out on the hard days. Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country. This is about 70 miles, the trip that she takes. That's a difficult trip. It's not a quick day trip. No cars, no uh, airplanes. It's kind of a dangerous trip, honestly. Not a main point, but I do want you to, to know that uh, it's, it's not a trip that a lot of young women would make on their own like Mary apparently does. But she makes it with confidence. Why? What's going to happen to Mary on that journey? Nothing. Why? Why does she know that? Because she's got a promise. She, she's pretty indestructible for at least nine months, right? Friends, here's some fear that you can lay aside in your life. You're good to go until God's done with you. And if you're still here, he's not done with you. So, so, so Mary steps out, says, I got to go to Elizabeth. Now, one of the reasons we know that she goes to Elizabeth is she'd been told about Elizabeth, hadn't she? In the verses leading up to uh, verse 39. In other words, Mary says, I'm going to go to about the only other person in the world right now that I can share my news with, and they're not going to think I'm crazy. Elizabeth. I'm going to seek her out. Now, friends, if you're a follower of Jesus, I'm not talking about pretend follower. I'm talking about the real deal. You know what it means to say, if I'm going to live this way, everybody else is going to think I have lost my mind. I'm crazy. That's why you're drawn to be around other people who know Jesus in such a way that they say, you're not crazy. You hadn't lost it. You've heard from him, and so have I. She's heard from the Lord, and in haste, she goes to be with somebody else who has heard from the Lord. Isn't this a scene? She goes with haste, and then we're told, into the hill country to a town in Judah. Now, we'd say Mary lived far out in the country, except for the fact that Elizabeth lived even further out. I mean, we'd be helped to know when it's talking in verse 39, she's way on out there. How many of y'all are from way on out there? That's Elizabeth. So think about it with me for a moment. There's Caesar, there's Quirinius, there's Herod, there's Rome with all its legions, but the most 
indestructible force in the world is in a young virgin way out in the hill country. Not by might, but by my spirit, says the Lord. God often is most deeply at work in the humble and overlooked places in the world. I think we're probably all prone to have a temptation to want a glamorous life. May the Holy Spirit redirect you that you'd want a faithful life. So who is it that you turn to in your most difficult days? Who is your first phone call? Who is the uh, number that pops up on your cell phone and you'll actually hit answer and not will let it go to voicemail? None of y'all do that. No. But we're also helped to know that what God calls you to do, He never calls you to do alone. There is no such thing as individualized Christianity. What He'll call you to do He'll always give you others headed in the same direction. We see this all through the Scripture. Moses has Aaron. Paul, the apostle, has any number of people. You're not called to pursue Jesus kind of on your own. You need two things in life, accountability and encouragement. And friends, that's who we are to be as the people of God, the local church. Now, we've been learning that much in 1 Peter, that we belong to a people who are headed home. The only great work of God performed in isolation was Christ crucified. Now, Jesus is the one who does a work of God that's only Him, because He's the only one who could. Amen? Christ goes to the cross alone, but you're not to carry your cross in pursuit of him alone. You need friends, a real friend who will encourage you and, man, sometimes correct you. Proverbs 17, 17, you know what it says? A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. So you need a friend all the time, but in particular, the book of wisdom says you need friends on the day of adversity. Mary's about to face some adversity, isn't she? So she goes to Elizabeth. I encourage you to make the best friends in your life people who are leveraging their lives for the glory of God, even when it leads to you being ridiculed, ignored, laughed about, and called crazy. A few friends who can look you in the eye and say, I get it. I'm right there with you. Are you that kind of friend to other people? And we asked, we asked uh, at the start, show me your, first, uh, your three best friends and show you your destiny. But let's take it from the other angle. Where are you leading other people to go? Is it unto the Lord or is it unto gossip? I mean, honestly, if, if we take inventory of how you lived the last week, the last two weeks, the last month, if we just followed you around, what influence and impact would we see you having on other people? Because here's what's true. Nobody has a neutral impact on other people. Everybody is influencing other people some way. The people that you text, what are they being led to? The people that you talk to, what are they learning from you that is worthy of esteem? And hey, Elizabeth kind of needs someone to talk to too, doesn't she? 
Only other person in the house is Zachariah, and he's not saying much, is he? So first of all, a godly friend loves at all times. We're tracking together. Holy Spirit will never lead you to do something alone. The way that you can discern it. You say, I want, I want to follow God's lead in my life. I want to do this. Who agrees with you? I, I tell you, as a pastor for our church, somebody ever comes to me and says, hey, I believe the Lord's leading me to, first question I'm going to give you on the basis of Scripture is, who else thinks this? It's in the multitude of counselors, there's safety, right? Now, I, I know that there are times that you say, uh, um, though none go with me, I still will follow. And I would encourage you that if the Lord's in it, very often there's someone who's going to be with you. Or at least someone that you can call and say, I need you to come with me. Does that make sense? We esteem the Lone Ranger, which is ironic because he had friends too, didn't he? But Christ leads us unto friendship. And first of all, a friend of love at all times. Secondly, a godly friend is filled with the Holy Spirit. Can I get an amen? A godly friend is filled with the Holy Spirit. When Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby, that's John the Baptist, leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. Now, when I hear what Elizabeth has to say, my conclusion is that's what Mary needed to hear. That journey, I, I'm not trying to stretch the scripture, but, but maybe Mary began to wrestle with some things. And, and the first words out of Elizabeth's mouth are in connection to what God had already said to her. Another reason you need to read, study, memorize and meditate on scripture is so that you can actually give good counsel to other people man (laughs) we hear bad advice all the time a couple places that you'll hear bad advice place number one do you know this you'll hear bad advice from yourself from your heart the heart Jeremiah said this, is deceitful above all things. Isn't this fascinating? We can lie to ourselves, and there's a part of ourselves that knows we're lying to ourselves. But we're like, well, you know, that's kind of a lie, but I'm going to believe me anyway. It's strange, isn't it? How convoluted we are and complex we are on the inside. So uh, you're told constantly, follow your own heart. Can I tell you? You'll follow your own heart to destruction. You need people in your life who tell you the truth on the basis of what God says in his word. Have a discerning spirit. And every bit, bit of counsel that you say to another person, increasingly you want it to say, I'm telling you this because this is where I've read this in the Bible. This is what's taught in Scripture. So, so first of all, a godly friend is full of the Holy Spirit. Can we talk for a moment what markers of being filled with the Holy Spirit are? Here's a few things that we can say on, from this passage that being filled with the Holy Spirit... First of all, a person filled with the Holy Spirit will be joyful. When Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. So spirit-filled people are joyful people. You know, we're expecting a baby come March, and we've got a couple of books and an app on my phone that, that tracks the development of the baby in the womb, and our family comes around, and we read it, and we talk about it, and it's, it's amazing. Can I just say again, it's amazing how the creator of the universe knits a baby in the womb. It's, it's amazing. 
You might just want to Google or read or research the development of eyeballs in the womb. Amazing where sight comes from. I do want to say also that this passage makes it pretty apparent that when Mary and Elizabeth are having a conversation together, the Bible makes it clear how many people are in the room, and it's four. Mary is there, Elizabeth is there, John is there, and Jesus are there. John and Jesus are not portrayed as potential human beings. They're portrayed as lives. And as we've been tracking the baby's development, so many things are fascinating. At such and such week, the development of the eyebrows and the kidneys. But at no point as we've been reading has it said, this week you could expect your baby to leap for joy in the womb. It's never said that. Why? Because it's not natural. Supernatural. And in your life, you might leap for, for all sorts of reasons. But the only reason you will ever leap for joy at the name of Jesus is because you are full of the Holy Spirit. It's not natural. It's not natural to think this is good news. It's natural for you to think my team won the bowl game. That's good news. It's natural for you to label all sorts of things good news, but it is unnatural for you to ever label it good news of great joy that there is born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. The only reason that will ever come into your ears and you say that is good news is because the Holy Spirit has brought you from blindness and death to sight and life. But man, if you are full of the Holy Spirit, you will be joyful. There shouldn't be anything like a sour Christian. That's an oxymoron. What would we have to be sour about? We've been redeemed. And not of ourselves. It's the gift of God. It's by grace we're saved through faith. That's the gift of God. What do we have to complain about? We should be marked by joy. Joy is not natural. It's supernatural. And joy is impossible apart from the Holy Spirit. Galatians 5.22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love. Then what's next? Joy. Peace. Patience. Kindness. Goodness. Faithfulness. Gentleness. Self-control. We might be helped Um, by a couple of passages in the book of Ephesians. So if you're in the Gospel of Luke, I want you to turn with me to the book of Ephesians. And as we do that, we're we're simply going to ask two questions. Number one, what is the biblical mark that you are born again? What is the biblical mark that you are an authentic follower of Jesus, not pretend Christianity, but real Christianity. Ephesians is going to teach us that. And then second, what is the mark of someone living in obedience, having been born again, of living in obedience to Jesus? So you're in Ephesians chapter 1. Look with me in verse 13. Ephesians 1 and verse 13. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, And believed in him. So who are we talking about? Not people who've just heard the gospel, but heard and believed. What's the marker that you've been born again? Were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. I long and desire my church family to answer an important question with scriptural authority. What is the mark that you've really been born again? Answer you are sealed with the Holy Spirit. Now, what does that mean? 
Well, to understand it from what Paul's saying is in those days, if you wrote a letter and uh, you want to make sure the recipient of your letter knows it really came from you, you'd use a, 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 a ring. And you'd, you'd have wax that was melted and you'd put your ring on in that wax and then you'd have your envelope or whatever and you'd seal it up with the ring. Only you had that ring. It was a mark of authenticity. I mean, these days you send sending Christmas cards out. Maybe you got it printed out and you just got stickers and you slap it on there. Now you know it came from me. That's kind of how we do it now if you send letters at all, right? It's a mark of authenticity. You can trust that this letter really came from me. You can trust you've really been born again that the Holy Spirit has come to live inside of you. That is the marker of authenticity. And friends, can I just tell you, there is no way, there is no way that Almighty God himself can come live inside of you and have minimal impact on your life. It's transforming. Now, every believer in Jesus has been sealed by the promised Holy Spirit. Who promised the Spirit? Jesus did. Is that work going on in your life? You're becoming more and more like Christ. That's the distinction between pretending and the real thing. Second one, distinction there in Ephesians 5. A real friend is full of the Holy Spirit. That's why we're talking about this. Ephesians 5, verse 18. Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another. First way it shows up, if you're filled by the Spirit, it's how you talk to other people. Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with all your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of the, our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Man, if you've got the Holy Spirit, you're leaping for joy. You're singing these songs unto the Lord. You're giving thanks always. You're submitting to one another, serving one another, and you have a deep reverence for Christ. Now, real quick. Chapter 1, born again, heard the gospel, sealed by the Holy Spirit. That's not the verb in chapter 5, is it? It doesn't say do not get drunk with wine for that's debauchery, but be sealed by the promise. No, no, you've already been sealed, but here it's filled. In English, it's hard to not get these words to rhyme, by the way. Sealed and filled, I'm trying. Sealed, oh goodness, now I'll reverse it. Sealed and Filled. It's in my mind. Julie always tells me I say the word wrong. You just shout out if I say it wrong. Back to the important thing. Sealed is one time. Filled is ongoing. Sealed with the promise of the Holy Spirit. And now I just want you to see from the scripture that Paul teaches us about a, a righteous practice on the basis of an unrighteous one. Do not get drunk with wine. How do you get drunk? You drink unto excess. If you ever get drunk, do you stay drunk? No. You get drunk, and then you sober up. And then you sort of, to get drunk again, would have to drink again, right? That's the unrighteous activity. Hey, friends, don't get drunk. That's debauchery. You're made for more than that. But the unrighteous teaches us about the righteous. How do you get filled by the Holy Spirit? You keep drinking in the things of the Holy Spirit. You read the Scripture. You study the Scripture. You memorize the Scripture. You meditate on the Scripture. Have you ever heard someone say in a certain setting, hey, don't listen to him talking, that's just the drink talking, right? We've got laws. You can't drink a certain amount and drive because you understand that there's something outside of you that's coming inside of you that now begins to control you. Well, that's the same as the Holy Spirit. 
You have to keep drinking. In fact, in English, we don't speak this way, but in the original Greek, it's do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be being filled by the Holy Spirit. It is ongoing. So just a couple of quick distinctions. If you're sealed, that doesn't necessarily mean you're filled. You can never be filled if you haven't first been sealed. Sealed is one time, filled is ongoing. Does that make sense? Are you filled with the Holy Spirit? Being sealed is the mark of authenticity. Being filled is the mark of maturity. And then, back up here to Luke chapter 1. As soon as Elizabeth, we're told, is filled with the Holy Spirit, she starts talking about Jesus. It's another mark of being filled by the Spirit. First, you're joyful. And then second, you talk about Jesus. So just real quick, let's put them together. If you're filled with the Holy Spirit, you will joyfully talk about Jesus. That's one of the ways you can discern a false teaching from, from a true teaching. Is the person presenting Jesus, are they marked by joy? If Jesus is not presented joyfully, the real Jesus is not the one being presented. Can I get an amen? Amen. So then we begin to talk about Jesus. Again, we're in Luke chapter 1. There is somebody in the house who's not saying a lot. Do you remember who he is? Zechariah. Why is he not saying much? Do you remember? Luke chapter 1, verse 22. Oh, I'm sorry, verse 19. I'm even sorrier, verse 18. Zechariah said to the angel, how shall I know this? Isn't it fascinating how quickly Zechariah goes from full of fear at the appearance of the angel to questioning the angel's message? It's like us. What do I learn about myself when I study the Bible? I'm so quick to not believe. For I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel, who stands in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. You might have, answered, you might have read this and even asked this. Why, why does... Um, why does Zechariah say you can't talk when he questions the angel, but Mary asks a question and there's no such uh, ramification? And here's the answer. Zechariah, his life is not unprecedented in the Scripture. There's examples in the Old Testament of this happening. Abraham should have known. He should have believed. Mary, thoroughly unprecedented. Why? John the Baptist is a great man, but he is not Jesus the Son of God, born of a virgin. Unbelief makes you silent. The number one reason you don't speak to others about Jesus is because of unbelief. This time of year, well, uh, we're not done with Zechariah. We won't go into this, but uh, after he's been in the a temple making sacrifice. There's been a crowd gathered. This would have been what was true back then. And, and uh, Zechariah would come out and kind of give a sermon. And for a priest of Zechariah's uh, status, it would be the moment that he would have looked forward to all his life. It's like a quarterback playing in the Super Bowl. I mean, this is my moment, my one time to be able to say this. And when he comes out, verse 22, he was unable to speak to them 
And they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple. This is a sanctified charades, I guess. He kept making signs to them and remained mute. And when his time of service was ended, he went home. Here's some good news. Just look at with me in verse 67. His father, Zechariah, guess what? It's filled with the Holy Spirit. Prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel. First word out of uh, Elizabeth's mouth when she speaks full of the Holy Spirit, blessed. First word out of Zechariah, blessed. Mary had said it too. Jesus, Matthew 5, began to preach saying, blessed are the poor in spirit. There's something to that word. What do you talk about? When you can talk about whatever you want to talk about. I always tease Julie at this time of the year. Julie spends about 80% of her words on a particular subject. You know what it is? Pine straw. And everywhere we go, everywhere we go, she's looking for pine straw. She, she, she says, pull over. The person's wrecking pine straw. Maybe we can get it. It's like we, we go through neighborhoods like scoping them out. Like who's got the pine? Have you ever noticed the people who have pine straw don't want pine straw and those who don't have it are desperate to get it? Or is that just our house? Brandon, I can go rake it. Brandon, I need the truck today. I don't even have to ask why. It's about pine straw. Well, people full of the Holy Spirit talk about Jesus. Go through life. Where can I share him? Do they know him at that house? Where can I love people and serve people? Do they have Jesus in that home? When you're full of the Holy Spirit, you'll talk about Jesus. And then when you're full of the Holy Spirit, you'll encourage others to trust, follow, and love the Lord. You have a powerful effect on your friends. Again, show me the three closest friends that you have, and I'll show you the direction that you're heading. Do you encourage others to trust, follow, and love the Lord? How much of your texting is about the Lord and about things not of the Lord? As the Holy Spirit is at work, it's two humble ladies in the hill country. It's not a very Instagrammable place. But it's a place where God's at work. And can I tell you, a great move of the Holy Spirit in your life is unlikely to happen in a glamorous fashion. But rather in a deep and a sober one. And it might not get a lot of likes. But better to get a handful of encouragement from spirit-led people than from hundreds if not thousands of people who are not and third finally last point a godly friend will help fortify you for the trials that are to come elizabeth was about six months along when mary came to her house and we're told in verse 56 mary remained with her about three months and returned to her home. So Mary left about the time that John was born. We're not told if she left right before or right after. But we are told that she returned to her home. So godly friendships are not about us just huddling up together. We're just going to stay in here, be fortified in here, encourage one another in here. No, Mary's got to go home. Three months have gone by. What does that tell you? 
when she comes back home to her village, some things are going to be pretty obvious. And it's going to be difficult. She's going to be ostracized, ridiculed, gossiped about, misunderstood. So if somebody was to spend three months with you, would they be fortified for the days that are to come? Would they come out of three months with you fortified for whatever life might bring? Mary remained with her about three months and then returned to her home. Real friends help you for the real world, I guess is what we're trying to say, right? So a couple of concluding applications. Maybe just ask them as questions more than applications. Are you a real friend to other people or kind of a pretend friend? Are you a real friend? And there are people in your life that and when the hardship comes, they know they can count on you. Friends, don't see other people as uh, interruptions to the life you want to live. See them as the reason that you're on planet Earth is to represent Jesus to them and to love them. Second question is, can your friends really trust you? Do people come to you and you take their trust and turn it into gossip? May that not be in your life. So people can trust you and, and you don't have to blab about it. You, you can actually be trusted. Does your life exhibit the characteristics of someone filled with the Holy Spirit? Meaning, are you joyful? Do you talk about Jesus? I mean, I mean, let's not get a stranger weird about what a spirit-filled life means. A spirit-filled life means you're joyful. You talk about Jesus and you encourage other people in the Lord. And are you fortifying the people that you love for the days that are to come? Fortify people for the days to come. Don't just complain about the state of the world. There is a difference, right? Well, I want to conclude by saying that Jesus is the best friend you'll ever have. He is the friend of sinners. He is trustworthy. You can come to him at all times. And you will, when you do, you'll find him joyful. Did you know that? most joyful person there is, is Jesus. He's a sacrificial friend. Blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. So may this Christmas you either come to know Jesus as the greatest friend you will ever have or rediscover the goodness of the friend of sinners. We're going to stand together and we're going to pray together. We'll take a moment as uh, we're going to address one another in a spiritual song, as Ephesians says. And as we do so, uh, would you be receptive? This 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 is an amazing thought, if you'll just bow your heads with me. The same Holy Spirit who was at work in Luke chapter 1 can be at work in your life. Pretty amazing, isn't it? And we have a time of response where we ask the Holy Spirit to take what we've studied in Scripture and now bring it near in our lives. That what we've talked about this morning has everything to do with you. 
So, Father, we pray right now in Jesus' name that um, Holy Spirit will be at work in such a way that, that we really are going to take inventory and think carefully about the kind of friend we are to other people. Help the Scripture uh, help us understand what we should look for in other friends, who to really entrust ourselves to. And thank you that Jesus is the friend of sinners. Lead our time of response. For your glory's sake, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.